Thank you for listening to the ESG podcast today. I've been asked a lot about this session's subject. Put simply, how do you write an ESG report? To help us answer that question, I'm joined by Charlotte West, a corporate communications and reputation leader who's worked across the global technology sector for the past 25 years. In her time in PR agencies, she's worked for brands such as Vodafone, Sky, Sony PlayStation and Cisco, and currently heads up global communications for one of the world's largest tech companies, Lenovo. Charlotte is also a board director of Lenovo's philanthropic entity, the Lenovo Foundation, and sits on the company's ESG oversight committee. She's passionate about ensuring the current focus and attention on ESG by leaders, organizations and the media becomes the opportunity to drive meaningful change in the world. So welcome to the ESG podcast, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. I can't think of anyone better qualified to talk about this subject than you. So please let me start by asking a little bit about your role at Lenovo and the Lenovo Foundation first. Well, you've given a great top line introduction, so it's a bit hard to to follow that. But I've been at Lenovo 10 years. And for those that don't know um, the company, you might want to look down at your laptop. And if you're working on something called a ThinkPad, then that's made by Lenovo. I've been in the company, as I said, around 10 years. And I've gone through an evolution of being in a market. I started in the UK business. I then moved into a Europe, Middle East and Africa role. And then for the last three or four years, I've been in a worldwide role. I'm quite lucky and it gives me sort of unique perspective of the dynamics of the company and how teams work. And as you said, my role is in in global communications for the company and really very much on the corporate side rather than the product side. So that is everything from working for our um, uh, chief executive in terms of helping profile him, doing our quarterly earnings, focused on ESG, etc. So there's a lot of things that that span the company that are agnostic of the business groups where we make our products that I'm involved in. So how important is ESG to the business then? Well, it's always been important. And I think it's got more important in the last 18 months for various reasons. So interestingly, because we're Um, listed in Hong Kong, there's always been an obligation from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange that companies file um, ESG reports. It's not always been called an ESG report, but that's essentially what it is. So we've been doing a a sustainability report that has since become ESG for about 15 years. So um, from that point of view, it's nothing new for us as a company. I think what's exciting now is that everybody's talking about it. So it's not just the remit of the teams that had always been involved in ESG in some way. And in our case, that's that's multiple stakeholders across the business, as it is in most companies. Um, but people are seeing it as an opportunity now. There's so much data out there that talks about, you know, consumers are willing to pay more for a product if it's got some decent environmental credentials behind it or if they believe in the purpose of the company. So I think the the stakeholders that wouldn't normally either know what ESG stood for or care, frankly, are now really interested in it from a business point of view. And whilst that may be, um, you know, we kind of, maybe that's a negative reason for it to be, you know, raising up the um, list of things of interest in the company. But for me, I don't mind because actually it forces the topic, it forces the issue and the discussion and actually helps us create opportunities around ESG that wouldn't have been there before. So who's in charge of the ESG function then at Lenovo? So at a board level, it's our chief legal officer. So 
you know, within the chief, within the legal organization, there's um, environmental affairs, there's ethics and compliance, and obviously other parts of legal, but, but it really all ladders back up to her. But we're a huge company, and obviously there's multiple people that feed into a topic like ESG. So for example, our chief diversity officer um, sits within our HR function. So he is a key stakeholder within the ESG report development and with the setting goals, particularly around our the S of ESG. So I would say it really, really spans so many different people, which obviously makes it more complex <laughs> as we would like. But I think it's really interesting when those groups of people come together because you have such different perspectives um, uh, that people bring to the table because of the different vantage points that they're sitting at. I'm keen to explore this, particularly because you work for a very large organisation, which, of course, many of us don't. But I'm keen to um, explore how long does it actually take to decide what variations or you know, what's going to go into this year's report when all those people yeah. get together? Do you do it on an annual cycle or do you meet every week or every month? How does it work? It's so there is the, the planning is really an annual planning cycle. You're quite right because of the, you know, as just as you finished one, you really need to be starting the next one. Um, interestingly, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So our financial year ends in March, uh, but we are not obligated to file our ESG report until um, the end of August. So there's a bit of a lag in timing. I know some companies um, and some stock exchanges require the filing at the same time as their as an annual report, but it, with the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, it's slightly different. So that does just give us a little bit more time to work on it from a uh, targets and goals point of view, which is really important, and get more buy-in from um, around the business outside of the annual report cycle. Um, that I think makes it a more kind of meaningful, um, you know, piece of corporate collateral and insight. In terms of the cadence within that, there, you know, we, we, from a commerce point of view, come in at different points in the cycle. So we're very much um, part of the goal setting discussion, which I think is fantastic. And whilst we're not, you know, would never claim to be experts on things like carbon offsetting or setting a net zero goal, you know, there's people in the environmental affairs team that, that do that day in, day out. But what we tend to bring to the table is more of that outside in view of, OK, what does the world care about at the moment? What's the world talking about? Being frank, what storytelling opportunities are there if we focus on this goal rather than this goal? You know, what's credible for us as an organisation versus our competitors? So we come in at different points in the cycle to help um, help with the planning of the ESG report. But the ownership of putting it together sits with the legal team and they come out to all of the stakeholders to, to input. I think the one thing that I'm really um, glad that we own and proud of what we do is we own the chairman's opening letter. Um, and to me, if, if people don't read anything in a <laughs> annual report or an ESG report, they're probably gonna read the first two pages. So that is like such a critical culmination of what our message is. Um, so that's the bit, if I owned nothing else, I'm quite happy because we own that bit. So when it comes, so you've explained then that you're writing the, the front piece, as it were, which is, is, yeah, we all put our hands up and recognise that that's probably what we, we remember as well. We read first. You were talking about goals a moment ago, and I wondered whether, do you slice and dice your ESG report according to the 17 strategic development goals from the UN, or, or was that just a sleight of hand when you mentioned the word goals? Um, so I was talking goals more in relation to, OK, if we're going to set a net zero target, 
what, what is that and when is it by? Um, or if we're going to set a metric for, you know, um, minority representation in our executive ranks, particularly in the US, what is that goal and when is it when is it going to be done by? So in that sense, that's where we're involved in the goal setting. Um, we, we don't slice it so overtly against the SDG goals, but they do inform how we think about it and the kind of, um, uh, you know, phrasing we use and the kind of um, things that we align to, because I think that is important that you align to that kind of higher, bigger uh, global thing that actually has become very well known over the past few years. I can't remember what year the UN introduced it, but but it's it's they've done a brilliant job of making people understand, um, you know, the priorities and what matters in the world and present it in such an incredibly sort of accessible and informative way. I've got the most gorgeous book on my desk that's like a it's almost like a little children's book. It's probably I don't know. 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres square, maybe a bit bigger. Um, and it's just got each of the goals on a page and a really simple description. Um, and, you know, I think if everybody in the world had that book, it would be incredible and would really help us all think about the things that really matter for all of us. Well, I'm pleased you said that because when, I mean, we've been on panels before together and, yeah. and the, the, the exam question has been, how do you write an ESG report? And my first response to anybody that's wanting to write one and doesn't really know where to begin would be to actually have 17 different sections in their report and recognize how they interact with the delivery of their organization's response to each one of those um, sustainable development goals. Because whilst 17 aren't going to be, well, they're not all going to be applicable to an organization, you know, you, you're, you're particularly a company like yours, but it would be a very clear way of, of, of setting out a report. And I, I mention this only because I think it's, we, we've talked about, not, not today, but we've talked about regulation. And I think ultimately the regulators around the world, when they finish regulating the investment community, um, they're going to come down you know, the food chain, if you like, and, and start doing this for SMEs. Looking at the 17 SDGs would be a great way to start. Um, so I'm curious, you, you, you've not looked at that as a structure for a, a future ESG report? No, we, we haven't. But I think we, from a comms point of view, we think about it in the way that we tell stories. So we know that, I mean, I'm just, let's think of one that's probably not applicable to a technology company, probably Zero Hunger, which is the second one on the, um, out of the 17. Mm. That's a really difficult one for us to say, well, what do we do that influences that? You, you can think of, I can think of examples of customers that we work, big customers that we work with, where maybe we have got supercomputers that are crunching data that looks at, you know, the impact of climate on farming so that farmers can, you know, produce more, etc. So there's, there's like very indirect ways that we could align to that, but there isn't a direct way. So I think we tend, our starting point, and this may be more because we're a listed company than a private company, is that we tend to start by looking at um, uh, the, the E and the S and the G specifically and each of those pillars and looking at the risks within those. So, for example, um, you know, for us in, let's take, for example, the environmental pillar, of course, it could be raw material sourcing. That would be a big thing for a company like us that makes things that have raw materials in that are mined in different parts of the world, not made by us, but they're, they're things that end up in our products. 
or it could be, you know, supply chain standards in terms of the S where we're looking at, you know, labor practices in factories. And then I think the governance one is probably the one that is most, you know, they're most generic and agnostic of industry. We all face things around board diversity and executive pay and, you know, accounting standards and all of those things and cybersecurity that's obviously becoming increasingly important under governance. Um, so we tend to look at it as, you know, start from a risk point of view first. And then I think that informs like how much focus we give on certain elements of the report versus just just uh, looking at it explicitly against the 17 goals. But where we can bring it back to a goal, then we one of the SDG goals, sorry to be clear, then we do. So so the your ESG report is really an audit of what you've done over the last 12 months and presumably a projection of where you'd like to be. Um, and you mentioned risk management there. And in fact, anyone listening to this podcast, um, there is another podcast on the, in this series. Um, I interviewed um, Alex Heinsen, who's a, a risk management specialist, and he's, he looked at it from the perspective of the insurance industry. So if you're interested in risk and governance, um, have, have, a, have a look at that or have a listen to that podcast. Um, I was going to ask you whether there was any more, whether there was any aspect of the report that's more in, important to others than Lenovo. But actually, the question I really want to ask is, having written your report, does everybody go away, read it and then respond internally to, to the challenges? How, how does it how, how is it used internally? Yeah, so it, it is used, and I'll come back to the how in a minute. I just want to go back to the risk point, because I think that, yes, ESG reports have always been about risk, right? And investors, you know, kind of allaying any concerns for investors about, you know, you as an investment risk as a company. I think actually we're, we try and balance that now with looking at the impact we make on the world and the opportunity we have to make a difference. And I think that's where ESG has moved over the past few years it's gone from being this right you know ticking a box I've got to you know make sure investors know that we're a good company to invest in and you know they don't need to have concerns about certain areas but actually it's if you look at it from the wider world perspective you've got to do the other bit of the material never say that word materiality there we are I've got it out and actually look at you know the good or the bad that you're doing in the world um, and the, all of the other stakeholders outside of investors that care about it. So wider society, employees, customers, partners, et cetera. So I think it's probably, I mean, I, is it 50-50? Maybe I would probably need to go and read the re this year's report again and, and give a better judgment on that. But I think we look at it in both halves. So to come back to, sorry, go on, Clive. No, no, uh, carry on, carry on. Yeah, so I was just going to come back to your other question around, um, you know, how is the report used and do people do anything with it? Um, I think the great thing about doing a report, whether you're a listed company or not, is that it's a moment in time where people align around the content and particularly around the goals and the ambitions. Nobody ever wants to put something in a public report um, that's, you know, published on your website or, you know, with a stock exchange where next time you come to it in a year's time you've actually gone backwards on your goals so in that sense it's a little bit of the stick that that helps us drive change through the business which I think you know I think is great and interestingly in our company for a long time the ESG report well first of all it's called a sustainability report for a number of years and that didn't focus very much on diversity and inclusion 
So actually in our comms team, um, about three years ago, we initiated a separate DNI report. So we were using it as a sort of you know, campaignable moment from a comms point of view. Uh, we worked closely with our chief diversity officer at the time to bring that to life. And we put some goals in there that, you know, she in her role had got board approval for, for and the business had signed up to. It, that, that then forced a lot of behaviour change in the company of people going, oh, my God, you know, I'm accountable for this now. It's public. It's a number in a document that says by X time we are going to have, you know, X percentage of women in executive roles or X percentage of, um, you know, minority um, uh, leaders in our business in the US. So, so I think it becomes a forcing function for us as comms leaders, which I think is one of the most powerful things any kind of report like this can do. It doesn't have to be seen as like long and boring and too, you know, lots of technical information in there, which of course it has, but I think it becomes the forcing function to drive change. And actually that DNI report now is rolled perfectly into this wider ESG report. But I think we were probably a bit ahead of the curve in terms of our peers in the industry in, in being very public about that kind of um, diversity and inclusion data. So it, people are held accountable in the business for the, for the numbers and the commitments that we make. Um, you know, and there will be board presentations on, you know, if we're going to commit to this goal, then it requires this level of investment, whether that investment is cash or headcount to drive it through or whatever it happens to be. So it is a, it's taken very seriously in that sense. And I don't think that's because we're a big company or because we're listed particularly. I think it's this, you know, notion of accountability when it's in black and white. So I think even if you're a small company, you can do the same thing. Um, and, and absolutely all companies of all shapes and sizes should be. It, it's often said that social and governance metrics are much harder yeah. um, than environmental performance to, to measure because of course we're all familiar as you, probably you were with your sustainability metrics how have you approached that yeah so i think governance is the hardest one right i think environmental there's a lot of data that the business captures um it's easier to to track i mean it's complex but it's easier to track um and likewise with social there's a lot of things that we have in place around you know our supply chain you know the way products are developed around, you know, we've got our philanthropic organisation, the Lenovo Foundation, so we've got commitments there in terms of social impact. But governance is the really difficult one for me because you don't, you don't go out and say to people, oh, we've got really good governance. You have to show it in everything that you do. Um, and that could be, you know, board, you know, the diverse makeup of your board, but it's also making sure that people, all of the stakeholders that you're working with, feel like you're a fair and ethical and transparent company to work with. And that comes through like, you know, your contracting process or how you treat customers or, you know, how much information you share um, around, you know, what you might be doing to raise capital for the business. And again, when you're listed, you know, you have a lot of those things you have to announce to the stock exchange so that you kind of, not force, that's not the right word. The, trans the transparency is expected because it's just part of how you run as a business. But for smaller companies, I think that maybe private still, I think you can still bring that transparency. And I think that's the bit around governance where 
if you think about it as sort of maybe opening the kimono a little bit and maybe <laughs> oversharing some of the things that you may not always want to, I think that's where you can help with from a governance point of view. Yes. But I think it is the hardest one, definitely. There's some soundbite right there, opening the kimono. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I knew you'd do that for me. Um, now, we, I think we, we both agree that every organisation should attempt to have an ESG strategy. Um, the, the, the million dollar question would be then, how would you suggest somebody begins the process if they've not yet done one? Yeah, so um, I think there's a few things to consider. I would like it to be three, because three is neat and tidy, but it's probably more like five things <laughs> that I would probably start with in terms of what to consider about uh, how you think about ESG. So first of all, it is you've got to measure what matters. So what's, what's relevant for my business, as a company that makes things um, and there's a supply chain around that, it's very different to a company that might be a services company, like a financial services company. So you've got to measure what matters for, for you and um, your business. And a good place to start is doing kind of a materia materiality uh, impact and looking at those different elements under E, S and G, but also looking at what your competitors and, and, and industry peers are doing in their reports, what they what they are focusing on, because that's something that helps, um, you know, inform what you might um, focus on. So I think understanding, you know, the kind of risk landscape for you as a business and the industry that you're in um, is a good starting point. And then you can also work out where maybe you need to focus your efforts because there might be a place where you're not very strong and you really need to be. I think that's the first place I would start. Um, secondly, you know, we've talked about the UN sustainability goals. So I think they have to be another starting point alongside looking at your own materiality, looking at those goals and seeing where you have an opportunity um, to demonstrate that you're making an impact. So every company will make an impact on some of those to a lesser or greater extent. But if you really dig in, and I think the example that I used around the zero hunger one a moment ago, is like you might look at it and just go, oh no, we don't, we don't impact that at all. But actually, if you dig through your business, maybe you do in some way, you just haven't thought about it like that before. I think that's the second thing. The third thing is, is making sure you've got the um, processes in place and um, the data in place to be consistent through your reporting. So there's nothing worse than reporting one figure one year and then changing the kind of key figure that you report next year. So looking at your competitors is a good place to start again, finding the best measurement framework for you and your organization. So some, as you know, some industries have very specific um, ESG reporting frameworks. Others tend to use broader frameworks that are maybe more global like we do. Um, so, you know, in that sense, choose the one that gives you, um, kind of guess, the broadest credibility. And I know in the past, like some some companies might choose to game the system because they choose a framework that they've got really good answers for. You know, the whole point around this is about transparency. So actually don't do that. Choose the one that that gives you the fairest view and is maybe a good industry, a good industry one to use. Um, I think the what number I'm at fourth thing three. is yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done three of them. I'm on four now. Okay, yeah. is thinking about the targets and goals. An ESG report isn't just retrospective. It's got to be a balance of looking back and looking forward. And I think we forget that looking forward part. And I know there's a ton of greenwashing that we all read about in the media every day, where company X has set some amazing goal. Um, I think 
you know, people are getting wise to that now because you might look at a goal, particularly around net zero, and go, that's great, but how the hell are you going to achieve it? And I think that you've got to be able to show the, the how you achieve something as well as the what it is you're going to achieve uh, and really bring it back, particularly if you're a listed company, to how that impacts the financial performance um, of your business. And I think the obvious one for me is always um, the airline industry, because, you know, if you're running an, an airline company, there's things around fuel efficiency through a new, you know, new innovation in an engine technology or flying more direct routes that have fewer stops or adjusting takeoff and landing trajectories so that um, you know, you're making things more fuel efficient. So I think that you've got to look at the, okay, what is your business doing to achieve that goal? They're doing it through these, these things or these innovations. So it's no good just setting the target, you've got to show them the how. And I think where you can use some things like, you know, science-based targets to give some additional credibility to those goals that you're setting. So they're not just seen as, you know, vacuous greenwashing. And then I think the last thing for me is, you know, uh, an ESG report and, and, and strategy is, you know, it can often be a moment in time. You know, what is happening in the world today is different to what is happening in six months or 12 months. I mean, none of us would have predicted the global pandemic and thought about it from a risk point of view with ESG. But here it is, and hopefully we're coming out the other side of it. But you've got to think about the kind of changing world priorities that exist and how that might impact you from an ESG point in the future. So it could be you're in an industry where there's a huge amount of activism. So maybe fast fashion, you know, you operate in, and that is something that's got a huge spotlight on it and a lot of, you know, big critical eye. Or there could be, you know, a particular social movement that is, um, uh, you know, kind of getting more attention. So it could be something like Black Lives Matter or it could be the Me Too movement. And actually, you need to, to sort of think about those things that are kind of bubbling up and, and becoming more important in the world. You know, always look at the political agenda, too. So, you know, when there's a change of leadership, you know, we saw it with between Biden and Trump you know, their different focus on climate change in particular, you know, what, what Trump took away, Biden's put back in place. So those things, you know, from a company point of view, those changing priorities do have an impact. And then I think also looking at your, the market that you're in and the behaviours and appetite of young investors, particularly if you're a, a you know, a, a public business, you know, what are they interested in? What do they want to see from companies? You know, how much, which bits of the ESG landscape have they got a critical eye on as they think about companies that they might invest in in the future? So, you know, I think there's probably a hundred things that we would all say, but if I try and boil it down, it's probably those five that I would focus on. I think that's a brilliant attempt <laughs> to summarise <laughs> a very complicated subject. Charlotte, yes. you're, you're a genius. Um, just to demonstrate as well what Lenovo's ESG report looks like. Um, we haven't got it up yet, but I would ask, um, let's, let's get the last three that Lenovo have done and we'll put them up on our ESG showcase, if that's okay with you guys. Um, yes. Because clearly looking at these things helps an awful lot. And that's why we've got this archive of, it's over 120 ESG reports now, I think, on the website, and they're free to access because all we've done is connect them to the links that they, um, they're hosted on. Um, but the clock, as you may have heard about five minutes ago, uh, donged. we're out of time, unfortunately, so we're going to have to finish here. Um, so thank you, dear listener, for listening. Um, if this is the first ESG Foundation podcast you've heard from us, 
and do please check out the channel that we've got on YouTube, Spotify or Apple Play. There are lots of resources as well on our website, which is esgfoundation.org. And I've mentioned the growing archive of ESG reports. Um, do take a look. And if your ESG report isn't listed and you think it should be, um, please send it to us because we would like to have as many up there as we possibly can. ESG is a fascinating and evolving subject. So I do hope we'll come back again, Charlotte. But in the meantime, thank you very much for your time today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Clive.